You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today is the second of three parts to the story of Ryan Kiggins, our podcast host. You'll hear the true story of what happens when leukemia stops being polite and starts getting real. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey, this is Ryan. And uh, just like the first episode, I just jumped right into it with this one. So here's my made-up introduction. Also, if you haven't listened to the first episode, I suggest you stop this and go listen to that one. Otherwise, some of this stuff might seem pretty confusing. Also, I wanted to congratulate you. If you did make it through the first episode, you listened to almost two hours of my lispy, nasally drone. It seems like a cruel joke in the English language that uh, people who have a lisp have to use that lisp when they say the word lisp. Anyway, sorry, non sequitur. Let's uh, get to the show. So just to recap a little bit from last time. So we left this off after I'd had my first round of um, induction therapy. Yeah. I took it like a champ. Yeah, we took about talked about your, your what took you to the hospital, your diagnosis, mm-hmm. treatment plan. You met your doctor, mm-hmm. Doctor uh, Petersdorf. Petersdorf. Yep. Yeah, and then yeah, at this point you're just feeling like a rock star because oh chemo ain't nothing, right? Oh, I was like, so amazing at getting cancer. You're just. I had gone through um, all the treatment, complete clinical failure. Didn't do anything really uh, to beat the, leuke- the leukemia, knock it down much at all. So it was really now going to be time for like what's next, what happens next. And uh, I think we teased last time a little bit. It didn't. This is this is the time when stuff started getting real. Yeah, yeah. It was a good place to stop there and pick it up wherever. Yeah. It, the funny thing about it was once they decided this new course of action the new round the new chemo they were going to use i still had one million percent confidence that <laughs> last time you said this was going to be terrible it wasn't so i still thought you know this this it, it, it'd be different in that it would be it would kill leukemia this time but i'd still still be awesome so not not exactly yeah. so what what ended up happening was we did the first day of the new treatment. So this was going to be like a 10-day plan, I think they said. So 10 days of chemotherapy. And and they picked the the treatment, like the one that they thought would work, and we're just going to double up on that, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So or the triple first, up. The first time was a cocktail of chemo. This one was only one, med, one name for the, the medicine. So I, I guess they picked the one that they thought they did the most. So... I think I should have been concerned the first day when they came in, when they came in to administer the chemo in hazmat suits. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That one tripped me out a little bit. It was weird. And they didn't warn me about it at all. They just, and it was the same nurses that I'd, you know, I'd seen for the last week and a half, two weeks. So that was weird. They came in in full on gear. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Like, we're, this is our... (laughs) We're saving ourselves. Exactly. It was funny. They were pretty nonchalant about it, but uh, 
it still didn't give me enough concern. So they, they gave me the medication. The next morning I woke up feeling sick. Like, I think I tried, I tried to talk, you know, and instead I, I, I coughed cause I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great and I wasn't prepared for it. Cause first of all, I think it'd been a really long time since I'd thrown up a really deck, like over a decade, I think. Oh, wow. So I wasn't prepared for it. So I might've puked like on the floor. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have, so they have stuff. A little pink little tray. tray, yeah. yeah the throw-up tray. It's all yeah. the throw-up tray. It's already. Well, it's but a multi-purpose tray. Really. It was, but I wasn't prepared at all for for any of that. So the first time was kind of a, a surprise, and I had a really bad headache and stuff like that. So it was clear the first morning I'd I'd woken up that this is maybe going to be different. But to be fair, I was I was a little bit excited about it because I was like, this is different. Yeah. You know, yep, and something's happening. Maybe this is this is how it's supposed to be. So the other thing that was different about this this new round two was, I was really getting to the point where I was missing my wife and kids, and not that I didn't before, but I'd mentioned before we we didn't go multiple nights without seeing them, uh, and and I. I don't ever remember going multiple nights without seeing my wife since, you know, almost, you know, since we were, well, really since we were married. High school. Almost, exactly. Yeah. We met in high school. So, so I was really starting to, to feel that and, and miss them. And also Haley and Maddie were sick. So there were several days early on that they weren't able to mm. see me. So that was, you know, that was frustrating for all of us. So, Combine a more challenging situation on my body with now I'm missing the, the girls and stuff like that. It's starting to feel a lot, a lot more real. So then same, I, I, I would say it's just kind of more of the same for the next couple days, except that when my wife was able to come see me, um, the girls had gotten better, I guess, from being sick and she, she was able to come see me. She walked, when she walked in the room, she was like, I don't know if she said it to me or if there was a nurse in there, but I remember the comment about why are you purple or why is he purple? And I was a little bit, I guess, unaware, like nobody really pointed anything out, but I guess my head and, and my hands and feet were bright reddish purple, which mm-hmm. was alarming for, yeah, at least for her, <laughs> at least for her. I guess nobody well, I mean, else around me noticed it, or, or maybe they did. I just was oblivious to them noticing it. But no mirrors around. You probably uh, a good idea anyway. I don't. I really actually, there was a mirror in the bathroom, but I, I think I'm just somebody that doesn't really look in the mirror much. When she said that, I was, I did say, well, you know, I don't know, but my head's really hot. Everything's really, really hot. My hands and feet and head were very, very burning up hot, uh, which, you know, I talked to the nurses about and the, and the doctors that were coming through and they said, oh, you may be getting, um, hand and foot disorder disease or something like that. They called it. And, and the funny thing was, I think around that time was when they had the thing with the, like the, the mad cow disease. There was like the the hoof mouth and no, there was something like hoof mouth and foot dis- disease in in farm animals or something like that so it made me it made me think of that but um 
But they were, so I, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know, I, but I didn't know what that meant. But essentially what was happening was my body, because of the chemotherapy, was burning from the inside out. And it was, it was kind of, I think, trying to release that heat through my extremities, which was my, my hands and feet and head. Um, so, but, but the way it looked was just like bright. Why are you, why do you look like lobster? The funny thing is that was you're on fire on the inside. Everything's just pretty much burning. I guess I didn't really feel it. Although I did have a fever. So I think that was another thing, um, that, that was new, which was, I think this was really the first time I'd had much of a fever. You know, that was a little problematic, but, um. Yeah, so so this is like three days now, the third day three or something. Yeah, the, like day three of the new of the new treatment uh, that I that I at least I, I got to see him, and but then I was kind of alerted to the fact that something is a lo- way way more off. Right, yeah. I'm not just feeling sick and headaches and stuff like that, and tired. I was really tired too. Um, but now phys- some physical stuff is happening. Oh, so the other part is the nurses did a test with me every uh, multiple times during the day, where they put two fingers in front of like in front of my face by about probably eighteen inches or so, maybe twenty four, and they'd have me hold my head still and they just move the fingers back and forth. And my job was just to track the fingers with, with your my eyes. eyes. Um, so so the girl they laughed um, and. Kind of more of the same over the next couple of days, but something there were a couple of things I started noticing that were a change, which was this is on me and anybody going through any kind of treatment in the hospital. Uh, if there are doctors and nurses asking you about symptoms or changes, go ahead and feel free to tell them <laughs> what those are. <laughs> like, I wasn't trying to keep it a secret, but I was like, also... You're a, you're a doctor, though, so you know what's important. <laughs> well, it's not that I knew what was important, but I was... I think I was a little bit... Maybe not in denial, but... Nah, probably in denial. Yeah. Like, I, I was just downplaying it. Um, and so what I was downplaying was... I would I would say probably on day five or so that I found it more challenging to track the fingers with my eyes and i i don't really know how to describe that other than it was just more i had to focus harder yeah so i've got so i've got really i've got big fairly big eyes and um so i found my i can't i I, how do you know that i i don't think they're not bigger than normal i don't think they're i feel like they're bigger than well you you already said you never look in a mirror i know uh, pictures though well, maybe you also people have told me that I have like I've been told I have cow cow eyes. Oh, that, maybe that's not a compliment. I don't know. I don't okay. think that's a compliment. Yeah, dang it. Well, anyway, I found myself feeling like I'm having to like open my eyes really wide to to track better, but nobody said anything about it. So, also oh, the other thing about having really big eyes. So I I'd mentioned at, at this point my hair is all gone, right? Mm-hmm. That means from everywhere, obviously. Like yeah. in case that wasn't obvious. Yeah, but, I, yeah, I try not to think about it last episode, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's gone from everywhere, but that also includes eyelids and eyebrows, which having big, big, big eyes with no let's, eyelids. Let's go bigger. <laughs> no eyelids, uh-huh. bald head. Yeah, like so the roundy and shapey and all of that together. It's not good. 
No, it's not good, but I looked especially weird, I feel like, because of my big eyes with like with nothing Were around. Are you still me. red too? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, bright bright red. Yeah, bright red. But also I was disappointed to find the shape of my head not not great. round at all. No, it's it was a little cone heady. It it wasn't great. It wasn't yeah. solid. Um so I'm having that problem. The other problem I was having was speaking uh was more challenging for me. So I I didn't have problems thinking about the words I wanted to say, and I didn't I, I could say them, but it felt like it was starting to become a little bit forced and, and challenging. So and then and then when the girls when the girls left um, after seeing me, I really I started missing them big time. I'm not I'm not sure what maybe maybe because I was feeling like oh this is getting. This is yeah. getting real now. Like maybe this isn't going to – maybe they were right initially. Like this is not not going to end well. So I started really missing them. So I remember, um, you know, I mentioned before, they want you to be walking a lot during the day. That's really the only exercise you can get is when you're out of bed and walking. And I'm connected to a, you know, a pole that has medication on it, you know, uh, saline and, and all kinds of stuff. And it's connected to my Hickman device. So every time I walk, I'm connected to this thing. And it's really interesting. I didn't, it wasn't conscientious, I don't think, at least at first, but I found myself when I was walking, I just started imagining the girls are all grown up and they're, they're there with me. Like I'm walking them and it's me walking them down the aisle. Oh, and so I was just like picturing like positive, like looking into the future and that's going to help get me through it. And that became something that I did really regularly. Wow. Yeah. And it was weird because I started that's like. a good positive energy kind of a thing. To yeah. And it wasn't, I, I don't know if I had read something about that or like what popped that in, but it really just became like. That was just what happened. And th what happened in the other part was that I was like picturing settings for the wedding and stuff like that. I think maybe to keep my mind entertained, right? So I, you know, you don't go crazy or it's different or whatever. But um, I did that as well. So it would it would be worse if you were thinking about like work and stuff <laughs> right. like that. I mean, if you know you're yeah. in that spot, I guess family's where you want to go. Yeah, Memories I was. And yeah, friends. Not work though. No, I I was no, no. But the funny thing was, I still was working at this time. Were you really? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew you had brought your laptop. Literally yeah. during this time, your forty hours hands are on fire. Still. Yeah, it hurt. It definitely hurt to punch to to hit the keyboard. I do remember that. I but can't believe you're still working now. Okay. Yeah, because I found it to be really really helpful. Honestly, it was just. There must have been well. There's always, I guess, a lot going on, but there was so much work that I had to that I got, I guess, to focus on that it just really kept me away from it. It helped me not, you know, miss miss the kids so much or, or worry or panic or whatever. So that was that was really um, really powerful. But so the 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 problems with my speech though kind of started progressing a little more and more, and I think it was so. I'm sorry I can't verify this. It was the last the last day of the chemo had happened. So whether it was seven days or ten days, but I feel like it was ten days. So for the second round. Yeah, for the second round. So the last day it happened, they'd given me they'd given me the chemo and it's like, okay, you know, we made it or whatever. 
and let's celebrate. But but when they did, they were doing the last test. I I could not. I couldn't follow. My eyes just wouldn't work, and my head started kind of swimming, and I could feel my heartbeat like in all my extremities, and I I felt like I was starting to panic. And also, and I had decided I'm going to tell them now that it's done, now that it's all in me. So my goal, you guys, if you're listening, my goal was they said this is going to be a 10-day treatment. My goal was to get through 10 days of treatment because I thought this has to happen for me to to get rid of this leukemia. So I didn't want to wimp out. So once, but once I got through that, I told them I can't. The fingers that I can't try. I don't know if you're noticing or not. None of the nurses ever said anything about it. So I was like, I don't know if you're noticing it or not, but I can't. And also, I'm having a really hard time speaking to the point where it felt like I was very much mumbling. And they were like, didn't know? Not really. It was so weird. But it it was almost like maybe and maybe it just got really, really exacerbated that. In that moment, like that that evening or whatever, because um, I was I was telling them I can think of what to say, but when I try to do, I not sound drunk. Like does not something not sound wrong? And then they they were monitoring my vitals, and they said, "Yeah, okay, definitely we can tell. You know, something's not right." And then my pulse went up. Um, like as soon as they said that, yeah, I I don't know if it was like in that exact moment, but over the I guess you know ten minutes between me kind of coming clean and saying I can't my eye it's not working with my eyes and then I can't I feel like I can't speak very well whatever it was my pulse went up it was up to like one seventy and I was just laying in the bed wow. and so wow. that was then. I, I don't remember that they like sounded one of the alarms in the hospital, but the, the the room became very full of lots of people, and I remember um, I remember hearing them uh, discuss the fact that they were going to have to take. I was gonna I needed to go to ICU. It was my heart rate. It was I was in sepsis, which is um, which. I think I, I don't know the exact definition of it, but it's not it's not good. Like my body is having a very hard time now dealing with the chemo that's in me and all that kind of stuff. The weird thing is, sometime between the the time when w- we realized something was wrong and they moved me to ICU, I think they had to prepare the ICU or something like that. I remember calling Jen. So and it was fairly late at night. It was probably tenish at night. And I remember calling her just to tell her. I don't know if I thought she might have a sense or whatever, but um, or well, we talked every night, I'm sure. Um, but I remember telling her, "Hey," or trying to tell her, "I need to go to, to ICU, but I'm fine. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Don't worry. You know, it's don't. I don't know. I just wanted to reassure her for some reason. Yeah. Um, but looking back on it now, I'm almost not sure how convinced i was even myself of that or at least maybe during when i was in the room before they moved me to icu i was confident in that but when they started moving me up so it was just the floor up up above where we were when they started moving me um and my heart 
rate is going really, really fast, and I'm having a very tough time breathing. So they had the, you know, the oxygen thing over my mouth and stuff yep. like that. Um, it felt surreal. Like, I can see at, there's a bunch of people around me, and some people are looking at me and talking, but it's almost like the whole, like, Charlie Brown's teacher thing, where it's like, wah, 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 wah. I couldn't really make out words. I... Again, I was trying really hard to focus with my eyes like super big looking at them, but it was I could really I could really hear my heartbeat. I didn't really feel any pain other than just having a diff- it was labored breathing. Like I was really remembered focusing very hard on on trying mm. to breathe. And also then I started getting really sleepy. So really tired. Like it's hard to it's hard to keep Keep my eyes open, and, and that was scary because I, I remember thinking, you know, this might be it because I I can't I don't want to stay awake. And they did the thing where they put their knuckle into your sternum to to wake me up. I remember, oh. which was wow. it works. Yeah. Um, just if you're wondering <laughs> if that move works, <laughs> it's very painful, and it, it that worked. It I did, yeah, woke yes. me up. Um, you have so, to show me how to do that later. Right? I want to. Oh, I don't want to. It's not good. I mean, you can just use your imagination. But um, so I went. I went to the ICU, and uh, honestly, I, I wish I could do a better job remembering exactly what they did differently. Uh, frankly, they well, weren't you, sure. You were dying, so I mean, we'll cut you off a little bit. I, of I was. I was. It was not going but, well. Okay, so so this is all within like right after you said, "Hey." Uh, Everything was fine. You're like, hey, I'm starting to have a hard. I, I was having a hard time tracking and yeah, could, hard to talk, and then, boom. Yeah, it, like the way I remembered it. Now, keep in mind, this was almost 12 years ago. But the way I remember it was, I told him it's not, it's not going great. Am I? Is there something? Am I crazy? Because I, I feel like I'm drunk. I can't make. I was very much slurring my, my words. And are you not noticing this or whatever? And and so it was between – I want to say it was probably – it felt like 10 minutes. It was probably a good hour between when that conversation – because I remember talking to Jen on the phone and and then they had to make room in the ICU and all that kind of stuff. But, but when they started wheeling me up was when things started feeling like they were spiraling. So – and probably there's a – there's an element of panic, right, for me, but having a hard time just – staying awake focusing keeping track of what's really going on i knew i knew i was moving i physically i was moving and i knew i needed to get better help but uh, i felt kind of helpless to do anything and they had a hard time getting my heart the biggest thing i think was the heart rate rate down um and the the oxygen so oh so here's the thing that i remembered freaking out about was which was we remember the show er yeah, Did you watch I, that show? I didn't watch it. You but, didn't watch it. Yeah. Oh, we loved watching that show. And I feel like every episode of the show ER, and now they do it with all the, the Grey's Anatomy, every episode, they're always going to have to intubate. You ever hear that term? Yeah. We're going to have to intubate. Well, that means they're going to like crank your mouth open and then stick a tube down it to help you breathe with. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. I... Intubate. Intubate. I think I remember very vividly thinking... I don't want them to have to intubate. Like, I don't want to have to. Oh, and I didn't want to have to do a trach, a tracheotomy. Oh, where they, where cut they cut it? Cut, yeah. yeah, we don't want to do that. No. no. 
Just but I couldn't start with the hose. I couldn't get enough oxygen, get so I, 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 I was that's what I was praying for and just hoping for that they didn't have to do that. So, so I'm laying there, and, and finally they had a plan. They had a big plan to get my my heart rate down, and I remember this plan. So they the the doctor was like, "Okay, well this is going to work." I can't believe you know the plan. I knew did the you plan. hear them. I did. Well, yeah, cuz I was excited. I was like, "This is going to this is going to fix my plan. breathing." So they gave me, I don't know, think of a stick. It was like a little tube a little tube and they said, and it's a solid a solid tube. So maybe the size of a uh, a thermometer, but just like a plastic or metal tube. And they said, okay, we're going to put this in your mouth, and you're going to just wrap your lips around it, and you're going to push on it as hard as you can, like breathing, like push oh, out, yeah. like bear down, push out. And um, so I did that. So they put it in my – and it just made my heart beat faster because now I'm pushing everything up. But what they thought was it was going to shock – like I guess shock my heart into yeah. normalizing. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't. Didn't do the trick. It, <laughs> it, shocked, it, it shocked you. It shocked me, and it gave me a really bad headache. And like, I got more lightheaded because now I've expelled. I was thinking lightheaded. Yeah, I did. It was horrible. <laughs> it was brutal. But so I remember that night in particular was really scary. But eventually things settled down. I, I oh, you know what? They gave me something that was like a. Um, this term is probably wrong, but I feel like the term is diuretic. It oh. makes you makes okay. you have to pee a bunch, okay. um, and part of so I was in sepsis, and part of that meant I had a ton of years. So they're pumping me full of liquids, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm drinking stuff too at that time. I could drink, but they were using so much liquid, and I wasn't getting rid of it, which was part of the problem. So they gave me something to 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 ex, expel the get liquid. rid of it. Yeah, and I think that's what helped. But long story short, well, too late for that. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but it is episode I spent, two. yeah, so I was now in the ICU and things were starting to a little bit, um, and how long were you there? Normalized. Half I, day or so. No, no, I think I was in there for four or five days. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember being there for a little bit, or maybe three or four. It was multiple days because I remember there were multiple nights and just this, this will be a public service announcement, but. The ICU is not a fun place to be, just in case you're wondering. It was, I remember it being really tough because I started feeling at least a little bit better, but there were people around me. I, I had my own room, but I could hear like things going down oh. and, you know, <clears throat> families crying. And it was very, it was a much tougher, you know, tougher environment than I was, I had had down on the floor below. But the, the other thing they did um, was they did during that moment, that first night in the ICU, is they had to get a better read, I guess, on my, my counts, my blood counts. So I was used at this point to them just drawing blood from my Hickman line, which they just yeah. stick a little um, thing in there and suck it out, right? It's no problem. Yeah. Don't. But I remember them saying, okay, we need to do an arterial blood draw. So, and they got a needle out, right? So I was like, okay, well, they're just going to stick a needle in me. But an arterial makes it sound like it's, it's a, a different a animal. A bigger needle and a I, bigger man. I didn't see the size of the needle, and I didn't think of <laughs> arterial meaning artery, but it was in my ankle. 
it was it was in my ankle and first of all I, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned my hands and feet are were red early, right? Yeah. In, in my head. What I failed to mention and I forgot to cover is the fact that it's really painful. It, it hurt. My hands and feet felt very, very sensitive, like, like nothing I'd ever had in them. I mean, they're burning from the inside out. So they were extraordinarily sensitive. And so any any contact at all with sheets or anything they were very sensitive to the touch and um which made getting the the blood pressure complete torture like it was so normally they would come in and do it manually the blood pressure they'd squeeze the thing and whatever but when when they were pumping that thing up it actually felt the cuff on your the cuff yeah the cuff on my arm sorry yeah that the visuals don't work for podcasting. Yeah, I forgot. we're looking. At he's each other. touching where it is, but I'm thinking. That's a good point. Got to be better. Um, we'll get this down. They're pumping it up, and I'm feeling it. Almost feels like they're pumping my hand up, and um, it was really, really painful when they were doing it manually. But when I'm in the ICU, I was hooked up to a machine that did it automatically, which also pumped it harder oh. and faster. Oh. And I actually, no joke, it felt like my hand was going to explode on on the arm that they were do, that the the machine was pumping. So my hands and feet hurt, very very sensitive. They hurt a ton, and so they're doing this arterial blood draw on from my ankle and foot area. So they're holding my foot, which is a, of course hurting. But then I I discovered that it's a more painful blood draw than. And just like a normal vein, so I re- and that was the one and only time they ever had to do that. But I remember like, like audibly making you know some kind of ah. <sighs> ouch, manly, manly cry. <laughs> this is painful. No, it, it hurt. I was like ah, I, I don't remember what it sounded like, but I I remember, and then I felt dumb because I was like oh, I, have done that. I wish I wouldn't. Have. But um. That was my experience in the ICU. So, it, but it was only a few days that in in you know they they got things back up to kind of normal. So now they got you back to the room and Yep. And nobody could visit you in the ICU or No, I ha- I could have visitors actually. In fact, my mom was still staying in there. Okay. I think she liked the ICU better cuz it was a much bigger and nicer room. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure she wanted me in the ICU the whole time. Well, well plus uh, you know, I'm getting better care. It's more, it's yeah. more I. <laughs> it's more intensive. So, um, yeah. So, but I, I think I could, I could have visitors. But, the, but that's, you know, that's a good point about starting to limit things. So, you know, I, I mentioned there was a time frame where they were expecting me to have to stay in the hospital, right? But part of a large part of that turns out was just recovery so the goal of the chemo is to kill the the leukemia right which knocks down your immune system your your blood your blood cell counts so you get what's called neutropenic where you have no no counts for your red and white blood cells and so i mean if it works it knocks it it makes you neutropenic and then and then you have to just wait for things to recover so a lot of the time is is just recovery so you know, I'd had the deed was done. I'd 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 had the leukemia, so now it's just essentially 
once I got out of the ICU, it's just recovery. And, um, and so, so I, I remember after the first week, it, it dropped maybe 30% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Here's these numbers. And I'm not, I don't remember what they represent. This time they went back in and checked. Yeah. So my blast count the first time, it, it, originally it was, I think, seven, in the 70s for, for my blood cells. And then in the 40s, I think, for the lymphatic system. And it went down like 10% or something like that after the first round of chemo. But this, this time, it, it was – all I remember was was knowing that it was – it had worked. So they did they did another another biopsy to find out and then found out this is working. It wasn't down it wasn't zero, but it worked. It was significantly down. Now was another round like even on the table at this point? Well, not of induction. So the induction stuff is where it's just like day like multiple days of just hard hardcore stuff. Now, in the treatment plan all along was this thing called consolidation therapy, though, where they bring you back in after you've recovered well, like a month later, and they give you something for three or four days um, that's just much lower dose. Remember, that's just to keep the leukemia at bay, keep things better. That that was still in the plan. But step one is to to get, you know, into remission, then be able to recover from it or try to get in remission, I guess. So... Yeah, really. I mean, the rest of this day, there, you know, it was it was a lot of recover, just essentially, just sleep, r- recover, walk, all that kind of stuff. There were a bunch of things though that that I wanted to mention. So, you know, my sense of humor has always been something that I've kind of, you know, leaned on throughout my life, and that didn't that didn't change when I was in the hospital. So I was, I'm trying to have a good good time, kind of throughout the whole thing as much as I can. And that means trying to play pranks or whatever, like goof on the nurses and stuff like that. And so there's a couple things like during the experience that I found humor in, it wasn't all just me. Like I, I know I'm a funny guy. I'm knowing the funniest guy I know, right? So, no, but like, it wasn't just me trying to be funny, but there were several things that I, that I found, I found funny that I wanted to kind of talk about. So where to start? So just having people over, people come visit me. A lot of friends just well, came to see me during. Yeah. How are you feel? How are you feeling right now? Like, I mean, I know recovery is hard, but all the nausea, your hands are they? Are you still purple? Oh are yeah. You- um, well, so I, the the purple is much less, but my hands and feet have now started to peel. So what ended up happening was okay. Every layer of skin. I mean, obviously not every layer because. Then it just be, I, you know, I don't even know what that would look like. Yeah, side of beef. And I don't, I didn't mean to interrupt where no. you're at because you could be going back. I don't know where you yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, no. So that's a that's timeline, a great point. So, so, so you know, <clears throat> after they turned red, what happened was all the skin fell off of my hands and feet, which includes. I mean, every piece of skin. So the palm, you know, every, and the, the on your feet, you know, the where your heel is, that's a tremendously big pad of skin where your heel is. You don't really think about it or probably don't even know until it comes off. But it came off as a fat pad of just, it was, it, oh, and it, it. you probably dropped a couple of inches. I meant, I, mean. I, I meant to warn people. If you're eating, put your food down because it's kind of it's kind of gross to think about. But 
every layer of skin came off of my hands and feet, which it didn't hurt per se, but I, I remember sleeping every night in gloves and socks that were full of, I think, animal fat or some kind of fat that they mm. they had me just, mm. my hand, I just coated this up yeah. to help, yeah, with the recovery. But yeah, it all peeled off. And in fact, so that's that's actually one of the, one of the funny stories was... Oh, see how I just jumped into it. Yeah. No, I think you jumped into it. Okay. I was just asking how you're feeling. Yeah, that was a great segue, buddy. Yeah. Professional. He's a pro, people. Our goal at the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. So my hands and feet are completely peeling, but the the funny thing was with my hands, the um, all of the skin like of my palm had detached, except it was still attached where the knuckles, the pads underneath your your fingers, I guess, not knuckles, yep. but the pads underneath your fingers on the palm. So it was all attached, but very, very loose. So uh, there was something keeping it on there that was that was holding it in. But for the most part, if I'd bend my hand, I could just see like the big flap of my whole palm in skin right but i wasn't going to rip it off because it, that it was still painful and very sensitive so it's like there. your skin was just like a glove yeah really it, your I hand was glove. moving around in your skin pretty it, much except for where it's connected on the exactly pads. so it was connected on the pads so one day my my friends uh i had some friends visiting from work and I honestly can't – this had to have been intentional on my part because I never – I don't think I ever coughed into my hand. Um, I was into the coughing into your elbow thing because just sanitary reasons. But but anyway, they were over and uh, one of them was mid-sentence talking about something and I had to cough or I decided to cough. But I coughed into my hand and there was this little hole in my hand where – my thumb in between my thumb and my index finger there was a little hole in the big skin pouch so when i coughed it blew my hand up like a balloon like the skin in my hand it's like i was making one of those turkey things that that you make with the glove my hand actually did that and all my friends just mid-sentence were like oh my god like what the hell it was it was super funny i i'd like to think that i did it on purpose just to but it kind of was. It kind of wasn't. A, and, and I think that was the first time I'd ever seen that happen on on my hand. But then I never stopped doing it until until they left. Uh, but now it's a now it's a bar trick. It is. Yeah, it's a bar trick now. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that was that was kind of funny. Let's see another. Here's a a, a, okay, a couple things about about people. Well, at least me anyway. I don't know why every. So my friends were all roughly my age, you know. So at the time I was. I was in my third. Well, a lot of uh, several of them, I guess, were a fair amount older, but adult men, you know. Um, I'm not sure why we think we have the thought that the sponge bath thing is like great oh or going to be a thing. <laughs> but it is. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. <laughs> well, 
No, it's not that. It's that every every group of guy or friends that I had over, it never failed. So the nurses would come in and, you know, they'd talk to me and them and, and, and us and stuff like that. But every – it happened every time where they would – when they were leaving, they're like, hey, you know, is there anything else you need? And so every time for some reason – I don't think I ever said it, but every – all my friends were like, oh, SpongeBob for three or SpongeBob for – you know, we need a sponge – whatever. And so – I don't know what the fantasy is with the sponge bath thing, but just think about it for a second. And I never actually had one because I, oh, I had a shower. Okay. And so in, in general, and until my feet hurt really, really bad to walk on, um, once the skin all came off of my feet, incredible pain to walk. Um, because you've got I now ba- baby, baby skin, and it really hurt a lot to walk on. So that wasn't, that wasn't fun. But That's why babies cry. It, it's got to be why babies cry. I totally get it now. But... It's it's a while before baby skin. Yeah, I think we'll 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 roll with that. It could be it definitely plays into it. But I was able to shower, but so I never had a sponge bath. But just like break down the thought of it's not you're 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 just if you were to get a sponge bath, just picture the scenario. (laughs) Like it's cold, right? How could you be naked? But yeah. I'm sure the water would be warm on the sponge. Right, but the rest of you is cold. Oh. I don't know. It, it's just, I, I felt, it was. You're asking me to think about it? and Yeah. I, yeah I'm still like, I'm still It in still that. sounds yeah, like, I'm good, like, it's, like it'd be a thing. Well, I mean, it, it would be better than giving yourself a sponge bath. Yeah. yeah. Uh, evidently, it, it's something that all guys thought would be awesome is a sponge bath for everybody. And no nurses ever thought it would be funny. Was they, funny. They didn't laugh. No, they laughed. Oh. My friends laughed always, but no, they're like, mm-hmm, okay. okay. The sponge bath joke, that's a good one. If we had a nickel. Um, oh, so one of the pranks I remember playing on um, on the nurses, it didn't come off as well as I thought it would because I thought it'd just be hilarious. Um, but... <laughs> Shockingly, shockingly, in my head, this and, is how it this went out. better on paper. Um, which was, I told you, they they measure your poop, so you're mm-hmm. you're going into a a little, you know, container. Was I just filled? I got cocoa puffs for breakfast one morning, and I just filled I filled the thing with cocoa puffs oh, and like put a little bit of milk in it, so they kind of swelled up over, and just yeah. you know, mm. it, it was funny because I'm just sitting in the you know. I'm like on pins and needles on the bed, just like I can't wait for him to walk in and discover this, and it's just going to be the best reaction ever. It was under, <clears throat> it was underwhelming. I it mean, was, it was you know probably not the first time that had been tried. On. No way. I'm pretty sure that's the first time. Really? Someone ate, got cocoa puffs. I thought, yeah, to well, replace the poop. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, there wasn't poop in there. Hopefully, if I mean, hopefully, someone can. Instagram us or yeah, let us know. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. If, if uh, yeah, at uh, at Full of Hope podcast. Yes. Oh, I love to hear stories. DM us. This would be or don't specifically or just make this one. Yeah. If yeah. if you used cocoa pebbles to well, that'd be a good poop, one. Then yeah, definitely want to hear. Yep. Um. So I guess the last bo- uh, these are all about bodily functions. How weird am I? But um, last bodily functional. Uh, thing that I'll share is something that I discovered that I fell in love with 
after my second round and I, I was having a harder time walking because my feet were so sensitive so the nurses were nice enough to and they're pumping me full of liquids like um, so much fluid going through me so and I so I had to pee a bunch so the nurses were nice enough to give me this Tupperware container that I hung on the side of my what is it the walker thing that had all the bags of chemo oh, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that the stuff the that had the wheels on it that around. I walked with yeah the pole I guess the pole. couldn't think of that word yeah so they gave me a Tupperware thing that I could hang it had a little handle that I could hang on the side of the pole but then when I had to pee I could just grab the Tupperware and pee and put it back up there. This is amazing. You don't have to get up to pee. So it's kind of life-changing. And particularly at night, right? Like that's really what it was for was just to make it easier at night. Um, I I remember not too, like a year ago, a couple of years ago after we had met, I mean, we've known each other for a while, but. Don't give this idea away. (laughs) I remember, Look, people. I remember you, you talking about an idea that you had about yeah. an invention. I'm yeah. going to just leave it there, but I'll, I will say yeah. that he has a lot of ideas. This is going to happen. Has a, he has a lot of ideas, and so I've, I've heard a lot of invention ideas. This was a good – well, I'm not prepared to spread not. it all over no? the okay. interweb yet, but mm-hmm. – Well, you could probably this, infer based on the story. So. Yeah. So I'm in lo- so I had fallen in love with this this pea Tupperware thing an idea, and so one you know one day it, my wife was there visiting and the nurse was in the room and I was talking to my wife about it or or both of them or whatever but I I, I told I told them both I said look this is I'm taking this home like this is my life now I will never not pee into Tupperware at night again this is amazing. The sound your wife would wake up to, though. Yeah. You know, it was more about me at that time, to be honest, you know. But you're not wrong. Uh, And then also just the idea that she's laying next to somebody that is willingly just peeing next to her in the bed or whatever. But I remembered having a discussion with her and the nurse about how this is amazing and I'm never going to not do this again. And haha, you know, we were all kind of joking about it. So Jen leaves that night. And I kid you not, same nurse nurse on call. That night, I woke up to pee. I was really tired. This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. I woke up to pee. I was really tired. And now I don't know how the physical part of it worked because I feel like I would have had to lean out the bed to pee, right? But but whatever happened, this particular night, the night I had shared with him the idea that I'm never going to stop being into Tupperware, I fell asleep before putting the the Tupperware back up on its thing. So you actually, I woke up, I either woke up or stayed awake or whatever it was just to a bed full of pee. Like I had just, I peed in the, I thought I was peeing into the Tupperware. Whatever happened, I, I woke up and I was holding the Tupperware. It was on its side and there was no pee in it, but there was pee all over the bed. Yeah. So then I had to call the buzzer, right? You hit the you hit the nurse, <laughs> and that same nurse walked in, and she she was like, "Are you shitting me?" She like she wasn't we. Well, I don't I don't want to say we. I laughed about it. I, she wasn't laughing as much because she had to change my my piston uh, 
bed sheets in yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. That's... That was the one and only time that ever happened. <laughs> was the day that I had talked about never never wanting to not do this. Okay. So that's kind of the that's kind of really the stuff that happened when I was in in the hospital to try to prepare for the the transplant. I mean, my, my accounts came back up. I got to go home. I was super excited to see my, you know, Wait, obviously so, my wife and so kids the time, and dog. And, t- timeline me again now, real quick. Yep. So, um, you know, now your friends were coming in. How, how, like, how, how long after then, I guess, your time in the ICU? You got back from the ICU. That was um, a few, yeah. four, few, four days after your yeah. last it, knockout uh, treatment. It was probably three weeks or so. Of recovery? Yeah. Okay. Before my count before my counts came up so it was safe enough so it just kept killing it like while you're in this recovery it just kept going and going yeah it it stays it stays in there for a while like exactly i mean i don't know how long yeah i don't know exactly either but long enough so that it was many uh, multiple weeks before my count my blood counts came up to the point where it was safe for me to be in public because remember it's not just killing the leukemia it's killing everything else including your immune system so I had no immune system for multiple weeks. And then once it finally recovered to the point where I could go home, I did. And I, you know, I was pretty dang excited to be able to leave the hospital and sleep in my own bed. And, you know, see, I never mentioned my, but I miss my my dog, you know, to get to see my dog. Because I could see the the girls came periodically. I got to visit with with them and everything. But, you know, it had been six weeks since I saw some my ginger. Uh, was my cocker spaniel at the time? Which I mean, she recognized you right away. Without she did. Stuff, yeah. yeah, it was really sweet. She, I, I want to say, you don't smell different. Uh, I don't know if I did or didn't, but she was excited to see me, but still less excited to see me than she regularly was excited to see my neighbor. We had one neighbor that she just peed every time she saw him, just went crazy over. So I was a little. I thought she was gonna tinkle when she saw me this time, but she she didn't. So um, yeah. So now I'm at home, and I. It, you know, I had found out that this was working were, you know, this was the right treatment plan. <clears throat> this had worked. And so, you know, now I get to be at home because now's the time between when, you know, the chemo happens and, oh, you know what? Oh, my Lord. Goodness gracious. RJ. I never mentioned this entire time. I'm really sorry. People, I'm not a professional at this. Like the second day or first day I was in the hospital at all, they started math type matching me for a stem cell transplant, like for a donor. Yeah. So, um, or maybe I, maybe I did mention that, but I don't know. I remember it. See, I did. I asked about that. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Thank you. You have to go back to the first episode. Thank you. Thank you. Another reason you keep me around. Yeah, exactly. So, so I had found out fairly early on, though, like midway through that first hospital stay, or maybe towards the end. But I was in the hospital still the first time when I found out they've got multiple viable matches. Like, okay, that that we did not talk about. Yeah, you just told us the process. They put it in a this, sorry people. There's like a hotline database of. Yeah. Yeah. Plant match stuff. There's the boner registry. And um, yeah, so I had found out during that stay look, dude, if you can get into remission, we have not just one match, but I think they had four what they called at the time perfect matches based on very, very detailed analytics of something called mycytogenics, I think. 
if that's wrong. You use so many big words. I know. I isn't, know. isn't it impressive? I, I'm making all of them I'm up. I'm more impressed. Than, <laughs> I wouldn't Sino. know. I, anyway. Um, so what are the chances? I mean, like. I just happen to be somebody that very luckily had multiple viable options. So then they started going down with the, the viable options. Okay, like you're a match. Can we start working out logistics and stuff? So they landed pretty quickly on the on the person that was going to donate for me. So I knew, you know, if we can get into remission, we've got this on the horizon, which I'm thrilled about, right? This is my key. That is it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is my key to beating leukemia or keeping it gone. So I'm at home now, and really early on, after being home, I remember my daughter had, my oldest daughter, Maddie at the time, was five. She had a play from kinder, her first year of pre-kindergarten. So I was thrilled to be able to go to this thing. And I remember my grandparents were in town too, from Arizona. They were visiting. And so I remember we all went you know, to my, my daughter's grade school and, and went to this play. And it's, you know, the things the kids learn at that age, right? You're singing songs, you're, you know, you're, and, and they did a little thing called I bloomed, which was a picture of the kid inside a flower. And it's, and they got to share the thing they learned the most about that year or whatever. And it's just like, you know, they show it on a PowerPoint and the kids walk up and that type of thing. So, so the, the way the play went though was they did the songs and all that kind of stuff and i'm so i'm recording the video and I, at the time no cell phones didn't have awesome cameras, so i had a camcorder big, i'm holding big, 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 it wasn't big, big, on like my shoulder you were it wasn't, i'm not that old i'm making <laughs> <laughs> he's got the one like the cameraman for the news <laughs> i mean that's definitely how they started off but this was at least hand handheld handheld ish size right okay. but it's still a straight up camcorder that i'm holding so I'm recording the thing, and um, so they start it, – it's nearing the end of this thing, and they're going to come up and share their I Bloomed story or whatever. I didn't know anything about any of this. I'm just excited to, to be there to support my daughter, you know, yeah. and, and great. I'm blessed, thrilled. Blessed, blessed to be there. I like, could not have her, felt more blessed. Yeah. So they start playing that song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but like the Jack Johnson version that's like the ukulele and the – like. Super sweet. Well, at least to me, it sounded really sweet. I love a ukulele. Yeah. The little ukulele. They start playing that song. And I'm holding the camcorder waiting for Maddie to go up. And I start crying. And, like, at that time, I was really emotional. So the 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 medication made me extraordinarily emotional to the point where, like, I would watch. The medication? The, well, that's what they said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what they said. But... No, to the point where, like, I would watch a commercial and just straight up ball at a commercial. So I was emotional from that, but but that song started playing, and it's almost like the first drum of the ukulele started playing, and I started I started crying, like my eyes started welling up. And, and, and keep in mind, I'm holding the camcorder. My my in laws are or not my in laws, my grand. Well, they were there too, but my grandparents were were there, you know, watching. My wife is right next to me, and. I'm holding, and they start playing the song, and I start crying. And by the time like Maddie came up, and I saw her little picture of you know, I bloomed and what she'd learned for the year, and I was just, I felt so proud of her, like how strong she was during this whole thing, and just so blessed that I'm now I made it out right. Like I'm at the hospital, they've got a match. I'm gonna beat this thing. Like, 
dude, I'm crying so hard. I'm like, <gasps> like I'm gasping. Like I'm doing the sup sup thing that kids do, like babies yeah. do sup supping. With your bottom lip. No, no, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I was straight up bald. The video, I, I don't think we've ever watched it, but it's <laughs> it's <laughs> got to be unwatchable and unlistenable. But so it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I remember my grandpa in front of me or next to me, like putting his arm around me. You know, he knew what was obviously what was going on, but it wasn't lost on me how weird it had to be for everybody around us. It's like, how pathetic is this family? They have no idea what you've been through. No, and how, like, this dad is so proud of his daughter for graduating kindergarten, or pre not even pre-kindergarten. Like, I couldn't even imagine like, what people were thinking about the level of, clearly, pride that I had, and I just couldn't get my crap together. I was straight up. I was just bawling during this thing. Oh, that is great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the that was the play. Oh my gosh. They're probably still talking about it uh, at the school. Yeah. They're like, oh they're my. Just, you remember that guy? That Kagan's guy. I was. Oh, I was so emotional. Yeah. So so now so now basically I'm waiting. Right. <clears throat> so waiting essentially for the logistics of the transplant to to start playing out and get getting scheduled. I, I think even at that time we knew like when the transplant was going to happen, it was going to happen in July. So I, I, the, the, I was released. I know I was out of the hospital in May and, Couple months. um, yeah, so it's really, all right, we, you know, we just got to keep this thing at bay. For a couple months, so regular appointment. I'm I'm at home. I'm about a half hour away from the hutch, but um, so regular appointments there, multiple times per week, and so uh, and and I'm meeting with Peter's with Dr. Petersdorf at the time. Really, he he's just the doctor I'm I'm coordinating with. Although I I know I, I don't think we really started the the logistics piece of the transplant. So it was all with him, and so something that kind of developed uh, in between, you know waiting for the next round of chemo was he would ask me dr petersdorf if i had any symptoms or side effects or weirdness right and there were things like itching and stuff like that but my nipples hurt like a lot like really sore my nipples were sore and so i started telling him you know my nipples hurt and every time i'd tell him i'd just Dr. Peter Storff, I just love, like absolutely adore the guy, but he would, he'd like look up from whatever he's look, you know, and just like, don't, don't laugh. nipples again. Don't. No, he's <laughs> just, just like, freaking like just almost annoyed. Like, isn't there anything I'm better? I'm pretty sure you said it in a way well, where, I mean, probably started getting, probably, you'd be like, hee <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> a little giggle. Well, so what? Well, happened, mind you, he's he's kind of he's a neurosurgeon, he's, and he's he's at the top of his game, like in the world, world renowned. Yeah, and oncology you know, very, very specialist, serious, right? Yeah, probably deals with a lot of serious stuff. And yeah, although he had developed an affinity, <clears throat> I feel like for my sense of humor, so we really started having pretty good banter back and forth. He was a very funny guy, very, very bright, very personable guy, but a scientist. So yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, I told him multiple times, you know, my nipples hurt. And finally, about the fourth or fifth time I'm, I'm there, I'm like, look, 
he asked me about my pain again. I was like, yeah, my nipples. And I was almost annoyed. I was like, my nipples hurt. And he looked at me and I was like, Dr. Peter, like, I don't feel like you're giving the pain in my nipples the respect that they deserve, you know? Like, I was joking, but also not joking because it actually hurt. So he's like, okay. So, okay, Ryan, your nipples. Okay, when do your nipples hurt? And I was like, my nipples hurt when I touch them. <laughs> which, I f- which I also found funny. Because he's like, without, without a pause, he's just like, don't touch your nipples. <laughs> Stop touching your nipples. Like, just annoyed with me. Like, that was so him. Just the way he said it was just like, don't. That's, yeah. that's his, that was his treatment plan for... Don't touch your nipples. Just don't touch them. Totally. Did we that, ever find out? We no. It they, just went away. It went away. Yeah. I was just gonna ask. It just the the it, eventually. It's still there. So yeah. So there's there's this thing that you get. Oh no, I, I won't talk about that. Yet. But uh, it was just okay. a side a side okay. effect, right? So the nipple pain, the nipple soreness went away. But um, so then also the other thing that was really cool was I I got I I had had a bone marrow biopsy. You have multiple biopsies to just track how things are going. But after the last the last biopsy, got I got a phone call from home, and uh, the guy, the doctor that had done the biopsy, he told me he's like, "I got I've got really good news for you," and I was like, "What?" And he said, "You're in complete remission." Like so, we knew the chemo had worked because um, we saw the numbers initially, but it had kept it had kept working. And he's like, "Here, it's." Zero percent blast rate for anything, zero. like all zeros. He's like, you're in complete remission, and you know, I had expected it just because I thought nothing else was going to happen. Again, like still this confidence that God had given me of Him being in control of everything, like I had no, no concern. So, but but to hear it, I broke down. Right, like to hear this is that's it. Right, like. This worked, and this is gonna work, and that was very, very powerful to hear. You're in complete remission. So then, the the funny part about that is, everywhere I went, um, from then as as you know, during the whole thing, I go to the the mall, the grocery store, whatever. And you know how people just ask you how you're doing? Yeah. yeah. How are you doing? I'm in complete. I'm in complete remission. I beat cancer. I beat, no, you don't understand. Like, I would tell them, like. Were you still bald with oh, big, I was big bald. eyes, purple? Was, you weren't purple anymore? No, I wasn't purple, but I was very bald. So but they could tell, like, like I, eh, I think the no hair on the eyeball, the eyelids thing, like, was the, the biggest giveaway. <laughs> it was gross. But no, I would tell everybody. That's it was so funny because I was just so proud and so. It's it's also narcissistic. I realize you that people like shocking people too. Oh, there is a shock. Maybe that factor. was it. Like you, I went, I beat, I had and yeah. beat cancer, right? And so, then just look at them for a second yeah, to see how they react. Yeah, take that. <laughs> no, it it truly was just such gratitude and pride, and it was what's going. That's how I'm doing. Like I'm doing so awesome. I'm in remission, right? So I remember telling everybody that that you know um, I'm. I'm in remission. That was something that was really, you know, just kind of maybe it was part of my like evangelizing. Like you can do this. Like it can be beat, right? So that was kind of an early on, you know, part of that. And then an- another thing that that was happening. So 
And this was actually happening while I was in the hospital, but I don't think I mentioned, but it was before the transplant. So, you know, I mentioned the bone marrow registry and and getting people signed up. So my neighbor started and she handled the initial logistics, but tons of friends and family work. Other people locally um, did a bone marrow drive at a local church. And so essentially like open up the church and have the folks all the right people from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society who do all the administration of the tests and all that stuff and actually give them. They held a drive there. There was a drive. My sister held a drive in Phoenix, cool. a bone marrow drive. So multiple drives. In fact, I, one of the emails I remember seeing from the one my sister did was she was like, I have 5,000 flyers to distribute. So I don't know how big it ended up, but she had a ton. There was – I know I was told that the, the local one was the largest – privately hosted bone marrow drive they'd ever had in the northwest region for the leukemia and lymphoma society so which was amazing like an amazing event for my friends and family to be able to go to and they all like tons of people helped and there were you know just looking back at the pictures and seeing how people supported me and each other and then that was just like an amazing kind of outcome of this and an outcome of those I found afterwards there, I think from, I'll get the numbers wrong, but there were two from one of the sites and one from the other that ended up being a match. So two people, so three altogether that were matched at my bone marrow drives um, to patients out, you know, in the world that actually donated their cells and saved somebody's life. So that was an amazing outcome of that. That's a good. That's a good feeling too. Oh man, it was the support. Well, it was. It was. It, that's the thing. Like just, you know, using the blog that I had and getting all the the support and love from that. But then to see people rally and do events like that, and then you know, knowing that other people are going to benefit from it, truly just incredible, right? That was just amazing. So now we can talk, I think, about the transplant itself. <laughs> so. You know, I told you already, I have no idea how long this is going to take to, to discuss this stuff, but we talk about the transplant. So we got, we got to talk about the transplant and then I, I think we got to talk a lot about afterwards. We will. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll have to do that. I have a feeling that might be another episode, but, but we'll see. Um, Cause we're already over an hour for this one and I, I'd love to try to keep keep them around an hour-ish but we'll 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 have to have to figure out how to slice and dice these things and i'm hopeful by the way that when we get other people on the podcast that want to share their stories frankly i'm hopeful that they're long as well and and by that i mean i'm hopeful that they're able to you know talk openly and not methodically, but just like not rushed. Like you don't have to gloss over anything. Like we just want to hear your stories, yeah. right? Like it's it, all the things you went through that the changes in your, in your, you know, your mind or your spirituality or your relationships with others. You know, one thing I haven't mentioned is the fact that, so I, I mentioned how this impacted my spirituality and just, I felt this instant connection with, with God and everything's going to be okay. Something that came along with this that I'd never had before and really haven't since was at least early on while I was feeling okay, I wasn't, I could get mad at nothing. Like I I felt like I had such a level of patience and just understanding for 
people and situations that I was like, wow, this I'm not a patient person at all probably like my biggest character flaw or one of them but to see oh this is this must be what patience feels like because i felt it like i didn't feel annoyed or kind of all the dumb stuff that matters in the world to people that they get pissed about nothing it was a zero and i didn't move the needle at all so it's perspective right like that's really what perspective does to you but just to get that level of perspective Man, I wish I could, you know, to get that back. And you don't necessarily want to have to go through what it takes, what you have to go through sometimes to get it. Dude. Yeah. I'll, I can just take some classes and oh, rather skip, yeah, right? skip the whole yeah, leukemia part. Yeah. Good point. But, I mean. <clears throat> incredible incredible me. perspective. But, yeah, so I, I hope the others that, that come on, you know, I hope that, that we have multiple episodes with them sharing their story. Yeah. I'm really optimistic that the people that I've talked to that have, have gone through something like this and, and beat it, it's a powerful feeling. And it's a feeling that, that a lot of people want, other, want to be able to share with other people. And so th- that's what I want this to be. That's my vision for this podcast is – a means for people who have overcome and conquered to share their stories and a means for people who are facing difficult situations to hear those stories of, you know, of hope and, and overcoming and this human spirit and whatever get whatever people find to get, get through it. Yeah, so the transplant itself, though. So there was, it was going to be about, I think, five or six weeks, well, probably six weeks, I guess, from, from when I found out I was in complete remission. So I'd end up going to the hospital to have the consolidation chemo just to keep it at bay. Mm-hmm. So one more trip to the hospital for a, a week to, to do that. But, but ultimately, it's really planning for the transplant. And so something that was really interesting that I found out early on is when you – like the day – you start preparing you have to go you're not meeting with like the transplant team or anybody um any of the doctors specifically you're meeting with finance at the hutch oh okay oh oh yeah oh i haven't even like considered right right now i had honestly we're so blessed and lucky to have great insurance you know it's worse over the last yeah it's it's progressively been getting worse but but it's still great insurance so, and at the time it was better, you know, this meeting, my, my wife and I sat down with the, the finance department at the Hutch and uh, I, you know, handing over my insurance card and yes, sir, you know, this is all covered and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, but just so you know, your company's policy for insurance is unique that they pay for this. And I was like, well, how could that, how could that be? I don't, what does that even mean? It's unique. You know, if I have insurance. Yeah. They said that at the time, anyway, they said uh, according to insurance companies, a stem cell transplant is considered considered an elective surgery. Wow. Elective. Okay. So do you know why? Okay, so you're in complete. Is it because you're in complete remission now? So you don't have leukemia right now, right? Is that you don't have? I it? didn't. I didn't. That's a great idea for so they why said, it might be but wow yeah so but luckily luckily the policy that that <clears throat> boeing has covers that treatment under the policy but they said yeah this is elective and even people who have insurance like this like blue, blue cross or whatever 
most people are giving us a check today. And I was like, oh, how big? How big? What's Dude. your guess for how big the check uh, would be? Dude, I can like, I would say six figures, but that's only because I'm like yeah. freaked, you know. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Like, if I go to the emergency room for dehydration, yeah, the, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So at the time, it was, granted, this was 12, 12 years ago, but um, they told me $375,000 check. Okay. So both. Insurance has already covered their part. Yeah? And this is well, patient responsibility. Yeah, because, because again, most insurances don't cover the transplant. They'll do the key, they'll they'll help get you into remission, right? They'll pay for that stuff. But the transplant itself, they're like, yeah. People are writing big and so mortgaging, you know. Their house or yeah, their business yeah. selling a bit, what, whatever people have to do, but it's a real, it, you know. Oh my God, I can't even, like, this is, I mean, these are the stories you hear, right? It's not even just, here, I beat cancer, you know, take my house. Exactly. My Think and, about it. Like, yeah. how would you, I just don't know who has that kind, those kinds of resources without making it, going to extreme measures to get them. And, so it's just one of those things that made us feel, again, just feel really blessed and, and fortunate to be, you know, be able to to have that covered. You know, I, I think you find a way, but luckily, luckily we didn't have to. The other part, though, is to your point, like the insurance covers a certain amount of this stuff, but not everything. So the toll can be really challenging for, you know, for families, even if it's, even if, you know, it's the majority of it's covered. Okay. But, so then I'm not confused though. The 370, that is the cost of just the transplant yeah. surgery? Yeah. The, okay. Well, probably the, the entire so, – so to prepare for the transplant, you have to go through a different type of chemo and this time radiation. Okay. So it's all that stuff to prep you. It's it, it's then all the stuff afterwards the the appointments afterwards. There's so much follow on, including like over m multiple years of post treatment follow up. So I think it's like basically they're saying you you got to cover all this stuff up front, and then you know that way every, everything's uh, we make we're sure we're going to be as a company I guess going to be made whole financially. So you're kind of paying for everything. It's kind of like if you, I don't know, my my kids have braces, and so basically yeah. we paid. Yeah, mine too. A, wrote a check, a big fat check, or how if you want to find whatever, if you want to finance it. But they're not going to nick at least what we did. If you have to go in once a week to have something done, or if you need a new retainer, or what all, all that stuff is covered. Yeah. Under. So I feel like the transplant's probably the, the same type of deal. But yeah, so so now it's game time. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves. Your support will be huge to help us grow. So I'd found out, you know, we, we had this match. We we picked a date. It was, I think, July 17th, 2008. And um, so now we got to go get me ready. So this is interesting. 
So the I mentioned before the the chemo that they they gave me it knocks your immune system down right it wipes you out. Well, the stem cell transplant what it does is so bone marrow and stem cell transplants both do the same thing. It's just a different mechanism for delivering the stem cells to, to you. So um, and it really just depends. There's a couple of different benefits to each. So I can talk about those in a Did second. Did you have to choose? I don't think I chose. I think, I think who chooses is the donor. Oh, okay. Because so the person donating the cells, if they're donating bone marrow, remember how I mentioned the bone marrow biopsy being a painful yeah thing. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So that's they go through many of those. So like mine, the bone marrow biopsy is in your back that they do normally. So that's just my back. But but to. To donate, you're donating bone marrow from your hip, your back, your legs, all over your body, and and it's it's done over multiple times, but it's still it's still a painful painful experience. So there's that one, and then the stem cells. It's more like it's more like a blood draw. I mean, they're draw they're getting the stem cells from your blood, so it's more like that. They there's some stuff they have to do to prep for it. There are these shots they have to get because, and, and I had to have them before the thing too. But there's these shots you get in your stomach with the tiniest needle ever. It's like you don't even feel the needle at all going in, and it's only probably half inch long, maybe, and it's super skinny. Um, but but the shot, the stuff they put in you boosts your cells, so they replicate replicate really quickly your i think your white blood cells so that you get this like super nutrient packed version of your your stem cells so they had to get those and they get them in your stomach and what i found about those was interesting i never talked to the donor to find out if she had the same experience but the needle doesn't hurt at all but dang when they push that stuff it is it ooh, it's painful really really sharp pain like just when they kicks you it? in the gut yeah so and it's something that they're supposed to do over like 60 seconds like really really slowly because of that but if they if they get in any kind of hurry or whatever like you feel it Ooh. big time it's really that was what for the size of the needle like that was shockingly painful but so my donor had decided to do um, stem cells so i know we're, we're going to do stem cells but basically what the procedure does is it replaces your complete immune system. So at your all your lymphatic system, the blood cells, everything, it replaces it with the immune system from your donor. So you're getting a completely new immune system, including, like for me, I got a new blood type. So it changed my blood type. Wow. How weird is that? That is so weird. And the other weird part is it makes you basically a newborn baby, which means you got to get immunizations like a baby so you're going through uh, this is a brand new measles again exactly yeah so you're a brand new human being basically when you get this transplant so so to prepare you for that transplant they give you this thing called total body irradiation tbi which is radiation and chemo as well but basically they're going to give you enough chemo and radiation to the point where it'll knock your immune system down to the point it will never recover. So your your immune system will be gone, right? Like to get a new trans, a new yeah, one, yours has old. to be gone. It kind of yeah. makes sense, but it's very, very hardcore, big time hardcore stuff. 
So the day that you go in to do your first radiation treatment or to sign up for it, you're signing stuff, documents that are like, what we're going to give you right now is basically almost guaranteed to give you another type of cancer. But it's going to be a long time from now. It's probably going to be quite quite a while, like at least 10 years. When I saw that, I'm I'm kind of looking at them and I'm going, oh, really? And pretty matter-of-factly, they're just saying – yeah, but yeah, here's your choice. Wouldn't you like 10 years now? Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a no-brainer, but, but it puts yeah. you in a weird position now 12 years out, right? right? Where you know, I've got a headache or my, my something hurts or I I have memory problems, right? Like you know this about me, but I have issues with coming identifying words and you know, is this is this brain cancer is so it does weird things to you much longer in the future, but at the time, you're willingly like just hey, you know, let's do it. So go through go through the the radiation, um, which is interesting. You're sit essentially you're sitting in a box like on a bicycle seat, and there's nobody else in the room with you. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're talking to you on an intercom. <laughs> also, they apparently found it funny that I always refer to him as God, like. Because oh, it's you can just, hear him come in. God, and, is that yeah, you? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I did that. The, it just felt natural. Like, the first thing that came up, I figured they hear it a million times. And they lost their shit. Like, it was like the first time they'd, they'd ever heard that. It was super rewarding. I felt really – I guess people generally aren't in a joking mood during this stuff. But I'm, I'm probably pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it – I thought – but they thought it was funny too. But um, so you're just – so – and I've got like headphones in. I'm listening to music because it, 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 was, it was I think an hour and a half or something like that of this total body irradiation they're shooting at you. Um, so it was several days of that and, and then that made me really sick as well, of course. But They would just shoot you and then send you home? Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say that – I didn't have to stay – obviously, there was a point before the transplant when my count started coming down that I had to be in the hospital to really prepare back for the transplant. Back to floor seven. Yeah, back to floor seven. Same floor, same you know, doctors and nurses. Um, but Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, well, same nurses. Yeah. So you get to know the nurses really yeah. well. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. The doctors are on call – or on not on call, on rotation. So <laughs> they come and go. But um, yeah, you get you get to see and meet a lot of those folks, and you really do you know establish relationships with them. But yeah, so you know I remember getting the the day I got a transplant. It it's it's just like getting anything else. It's a bag. You can see the you know the the cells. It's like this is these are what are going to save my life. So that was pretty awesome. But dang it, I'm I'm just horrible at this timeline thing. But I. <laughs> Before the transplant, I remember finding out. So they, they told me they had a match. They had given me the the TBI that was going to kill my immune system to the point where it would never recover. And so I re- – oh, it was – I had checked into the hospital for the transplant. So I, I had to check in like 10 days or something like that before the transplant. Really? Yeah, okay. because again, yeah. they killed me. They give give me all this radiation and chemo. So I have to be, I'm neutropenic. My counts are all down. I have no immune system. So you have to be there. And so I remember being in the hospital though and, and asking a question about my, my cells from, from the donor. I asked them, well, where can I see them? Where are they? What do they look like? And this was probably four or five, maybe five days before the transplant. And they said, uh, 
they're in her body, the donor's body. I was like, what? She hasn't donated them yet. She's she's going to donate them in like two days or something like that. Very close to the transplant. Yeah. Okay. That part makes sense, but. Yeah, but what would you, if you're me. What if, yeah, what if uh, she was in a car accident and nobody does Exactly. You're at a zero. My immune system will never recover. And they still haven't, they don't have my, my life raft is, it's still being manufactured. Eating a bag of Cheetos still somewhere in Exactly. Like the blueprints for my life raft exist, but it has not been created yet. So that was scary. Oh, my gosh. It did make me think, though, like, it did make me think that that would be a good either book or movie or something like that. Oh. Because not just just if she gets hit by a bus, but what if she just flat out changes Changes her mind? Or any other myriad of things. million things that could change the outcome of this. The funny thing was... I'm having this discussion with the nurse that's, that had told me that, and it's as if nobody had ever brought it up before. And you're, it was the, like the she's like, huh? And I'm going, how could this not have? Thank you. Well, it's too late. It's too, for every but but I'm not the first person to have ever had a transplant either. So wouldn't somebody else have asked this question and have this concern? But it, apparently, Did you ask the rates of the, the, how often is. I'm sure it's pretty high, but seriously, has it ever? Did they say? she? There was no indication that it had ever been considered, thought about, and or dealt with. Yeah. So so that was weird. Um, (laughs) That was the super weird thing that that happened. But then uh, I I got the stem cells, and it was a couple days. Oh, so the other thing they told me for the transplant was you're very likely to get this thing called mucositis. Sounds awesome. Oh, yeah, I've heard. And because of that, your <clears throat> mouth will be dis- essentially destroyed. Your mouth will be destroyed and your your gums, you know, your gums and throat and intestinal intestinal tract are all part they're all the same organ. Did you know? I did not know this. Uh, sure. It, <laughs> of course I did. Silly. <laughs> That's why I bring you on these things. Your in-depth knowledge of the human anatomy. Yeah, I can picture it. I've seen, now I'm picturing it's the, all in the together. doctor's office. Yeah, it's all. It's all I, one thing. Okay. So they've given me stuff that makes it so my immune system will never come back. And your mouth, the cells in your mouth and, and digestive system that whole tract there they replicate more quickly than any other cells in your body which is awesome when you have an immune system that allows them to replicate but when they die very quickly and don't replicate because you have no immune system it's problematic so there they said most people border leaning towards all people end up during the transplant like recovery they've got they're being fed from a bag you're you're not going to be able to eat you're not going to want to eat you're not going to be able to eat you're just likely to have this happen so when i heard that i'm like challenge accepted (laughs) yes i will be 
gonna eat a hot dog. Just like I'm awesome at getting chemotherapy, these guys are gonna marvel. They're gonna study me. Meatloaf. They're not gonna study me after I die to find out why I died. They're gonna study to find out why I was so awesome at getting a stem cell transplant and not having to have all this the lousy stuff. The food bag. Yeah. yeah, so they they had told me this, so I had decided, you know, that's that's what's going to happen. But pretty quickly, my mouth started getting sore, and I'm quite sick. So also, that's the other that's the other joy. Of just FYI, this is a PSA in case nobody knows this, but vomit is acidic. <laughs> so I, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. I, I we both got closer to the mic to say that. That was fun, and a little deeper too. <laughs> That was, we're getting good at this. So puking, when your mouth is raw, it feels worse than, just, than when it's not raw. It's really painful. So that, that. Okay, acidic, yeah. Yeah. So, and, oh, and acid hurts. Yeah. Acid's burny. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, hazardous chemical. Yeah. You, you have not had the transplant. This is still. No, this is, so I have, this up. is after, so sorry. Okay. God dang it. Well, I didn't know if it was. Mm-hmm. It was because uh, it's your immune system's dead, and now your cells aren't replicating, so it's starting to be bad. They didn't. It didn't really get. <clears throat> so they time it pretty well. They time it so that you still have counts right before the transplant. So you're you're not you're not dealing with that stuff yet. Okay. But after the transplant was when it it became. It became apparent that oh yeah this uh, this is not comfortable and then also I didn't didn't have much of an appetite so and and it became really really quite painful so essentially they give you pain meds you know through your the Hickman line that I'm at, I'm at yeah I was going to ask if you still have that oh yeah, yeah. still in okay. at this point still in has a little dust cover cap you put it on it's not even yeah yeah I mean they use it every day all day they're still drawn blood they're still giving me fluids that's what they gave me the transplant through those cells went right through there so it's all done through there so so um yeah i'd gotten the cells my my mouth is starting to hurt so then then for the pain meds they give you a little button thing to hit right when it's yeah. when you want to re- of course it's only going to do it on intervals that are medically yeah, you safe you sit there and yeah doing nothing but so fairly quickly after the transplant it it was to the point where i was on i was on pain meds and feel honestly i i slept if you want to hear about my transplant experience most of it was i slept um because of the pain meds yeah and what was in pain was it it mostly my mouth just the mouth my mouth. I had really bad headaches, but mostly in my mouth. In, in fact, so I'd wake up every when when I'd fall asleep and wake up, I'd wake up and my mouth had welded itself shut every time because it was blood and all the blood dries like around on your lips and stuff. So it all dried and your lips are together. So if I wanted to talk. I'd have to grab the top and bottom lip and rip my lips apart, which then it's like, I got to give an eating, I got to be better about the eating warnings. So don't, don't, if you're eating right now, put your food down. It's too late. You probably already threw up in your mouth. But then 
you see the skin. Like, you would see the skin from my bottom lip on my top lip because like, it, 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 it all welded together. So, so that was really painful. So I, I was, um, I was sleeping a ton. In fact, let's, so this is, I want to do, this is the segment of the show where we're going to do a, a reenactment. Are you game? Okay. You've got a part to play here too. Okay. So off script. So this is the this is anybody, but I want to say more most specifically my wife because she she's well everybody's told me this, but this is the experience that that happened when every time my wife would come would come to visit me. So it, it, during essentially after the during the transplant, I loved it when people came to visit. Right, like that was I'm an extrovert, so I get all my energy from from connecting with yeah. people. So. She'd come up or my friends would come up or whatever. So let's say, so you're going to knock at the door. I'm asleep. I'm uh, Open the door. Okay. You hey. Open, you open the door? Op- well, you did. Okay. I, right. Or I say come in. There you go. Here, let's, okay. okay. Take two. Ready? Come in. Oh. Hey, Jen. So you're Jen. Hey, Jen. Oh, my hey, God. It's so good. Oh. Could you do it higher? I can't. That's honey. <clears throat> I, I can't. Hi. Hey. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. There, that's... Hey. Actually, she's hey, got a really deep, a really deep voice. Oh, okay. Hey, honey, how are you No, doing? lower. Hey. Hey. Oh, that's Whoa. it. Hey. hey okay. Honey. Anyway, so I agree. Oh, hey. It's awesome to see you. So, so she come... You come in and sit down. Okay. And I'm laying in the bed. And I'm like, oh, so what? what's going on? So, so what's going on? <laughs> Honey, honey, can you hear me? So this lasts, this lasts for up to half hour, I guess. And then I went, hey, hey, hon. Oh, my God. Oh, hey, honey, how are you It's doing? so good to see you. Like, I, <laughs> this is the visiting experience people had. Every time I was surprised that they were there and they'd, you know, they'd be there for hours. As well. So, so that was essentially. How do um, you think that skit did? I mean, like. That was our first time. I think we'll find we'll out. Get better. Yeah, I'm anxious to hear how that. It's goes. likely to get better. So then, then basically after the transplant, how many days have we gone? Sorry, I'm in the hospital. I want to say, I think four weeks that I was in before the count started coming up. So again, like you hit a point where I just want. All I'm doing every day is looking at the, the numbers. So all we're the, the thing that's separating or, or preventing me f- from leaving the hospital are your counts have to your your immune system has to start responding and recovering. And if if it starts recovering, if you get they call it getting counts. So if you start to have white and, and red blood cell counts, that means the transplant worked. Like your immune system is building. It's not your, well, it's now yours, but it's the new immune systems like is building. So it's a while. I, I want to say four weeks. Well, like for the mouth thing. Oh. Was that like a couple of days? Or no, 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 no. No, it was like a while. Okay. Uh, many so when weeks. So when it's stuff starts yeah. actually working and happening. Yeah, but, but it's interesting, right? Because when the counts start coming back, your your stuff starts healing up again. Okay. So, like, the immune system is what repairs your cells that die off, and when your mouth, every, all the cells in your tr- intestinal tract and mouth die off really quick, 
when they when the mouse starts hurting less and you can come off the pain meds and then you can you know start talking without all the pain then there's a good chance your cells are coming your counts are coming back up which which they did so then you know the counts are coming back I'm now starting to look at, at 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 least a transitional finish line, which is me getting out of the hospital. Like that's my biggest goal ever is just I got to get out of here. I, I It had been enough. <laughs> it's, it's The fun and games are over. I'm ready to get out of the hospital. But I knew when you have a transplant, you need to be, I think, within a mile or half a mile of the where you're you can have emergency medical treatment for 90 days. At oh, least wow. ninety days. So how does that work? I got had arranged for an apartment at this place called the Pete Gross House that is used by the Hutch. There's several apartments nearby, but I I had arrangements there, and they specifically help transplant patients. So, so I had arranged for that, but I'm just looking at the counts, going, I got to get the heck out of here. So because of that, and I'd been there quite a while. The kind of the thing your counts have to be up, but you also have to be able to eat on your own, which means. Actually, oh, I was about food. to ask, like, you, you ended up with the food bag, right? Yeah, you, I, did, you I guess I didn't mention that, but yeah. Because you were, you know, your confidence level was, was so 101. High. No, man. It, when, the, when the mouth thing went south, they, I started getting food from a bag. Yeah. So then to get out, counts have to be up. You have to be able to eat. And really, and they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> gas definitely has to happen. But, but they didn't. They don't care so much about the eating from the nutritional perspective. It's they you have to be able to take your meds. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so because of that and I wanted to get out so desperately, don't do this people if you're listening, but because of that, I straight up lied about being able to keep food down. So they'd bring me food and I would eat a couple bites or whatever and puke i'd puke oh, it up right away I'm but i'd shaking hide my that. head disapprovingly yeah right now oh. well it, it's not only not safe from a medical perspective but also turns out and we'll talk next time about kind of everything else that happened after the transplant but also not fair like to my wife who's a care my caregiver you know i was released from the hospital because of things i'd said and my counts were okay I'd said I was ready when I wasn't, and that's not – that's just – you know, it's not safe. It's not fair to the people that are caring for you, so, so don't do that. All right, buddy. I think that's a good place to wrap. Let's uh, go ahead and All finish right. this thing up next time. Thank you so much for listening to and sharing the podcast. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there. Or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. In the next episode, we'll conclude Ryan's story as he talks about life post-transplant. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Ryan's story is living proof. There is so much reason to be full of hope. Full of hope.